Welcome to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. For free rankings, player values, waiver wire tips, and trade advice, follow him online at dynastyfreaks.com or email dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. Hello and greetings from Austin, Texas. Welcome all of you Dynasty Freaks. Admit it, it's okay. You're addicted to Dynasty. I am too. My name is Justin Christopher and I am a Dynasty Freak. That's a freak with two E's. It's a long explanation. Anyway, I love the NFL. Watch every game every week. Love drafting, trading, scouting, managing all of my teams 365 days a year. So do you. So let's talk some Dynasty. Today we are on episode number 60, which is a really fun episode because now we're actually starting a new rhythm for our weekly podcast now that we have our in-season play happening. We're each... Hopefully Thursday, you know, we've got family situations and things like that that can change, but hopefully every Thursday night after the Thursday night game, I'll give a little bit of my review of the week that has just happened and a little preparation for the week that's ahead, mainly just try to get some pivot points to talk about various players and player value. So welcome to episode number 60. Let's jump right in. Uh, man, week fun one is uh, finally in the books. Um I'm going to give some overall impressions of the week, along with some comments on the th- comments on Dynasty and NFL transactions that made differences in players' values for the week. But I'll tell you right away that this is one of the worst weeks I've ever had. So I'm in ten uh, leagues, and uh, this was like my worst week that I can remember, two and eight. But if you're going to be bad, you you might as well be bad in the first week because you can make some waiver wire moves. So. We will see what happens, and I promise that we will get better from here on out, but this was a historically bad. Last last year, I charted all of my wins and losses. Last year, I was never below 500 in all of my leagues, and this was the worst week that I can imagine, two and eight. Unbelievable. But uh, that's why we played Dynasty. We got a chance to rebound, make waiver moves, make trades, and do the things that we need to do to get back on top. So I'm going to talk about some waiver moves that I made this week, as well as some tra- uh, trades that were made this week, including one that I made. And then we're going to talk some, too, just about overall impressions from week number one. Thanks for joining us this week. Here's my five overall observations from week number one. Week number one is that uh, rookie wide receivers really broke out. This is pretty crazy that seven rookies scored in the top 60 wide receivers in week one. Seven out of 60 were rookies. That's pretty crazy. You got guys like Marquise Brown and, and Terry McLaurin that actually scored among the top 12. So if you're just trying to pick wide receiver number ones from last week, two of them will be rookies, which is super rare. While there's other rookies like A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Preston Williams, Keyshawn Johnson, Miles Boykin, they scored um, among the top 60 wide receivers. You all, you all know with wide receivers that it usually takes two or three years for wide receivers to really break out and make some kind of an impact. But... Granted, it's only, it's only week number one, but right now we could say that this uh, wide receiver class is already so shows signs of competing with the incredible rookie class of 2014, which broke out a lot in their rookie year. So this could be a very big class that actually breaks out in their rookie year. And so I think there's going to be a lot of trades in our dynasty leagues that we can start put guys on the block because they uh, performed, if you believe in them or if you don't, or if you want to buy them or you don't. Like, you have to decide pretty quickly here. Like, these are some pretty incredible rookie receivers that are out there right now. And so my first observation from week number one was, man, these rookie wide receivers are pretty 
fun to watch and have a great opportunity to break out for our teams. Second observation as I kind of land, kind of lay the landscape for the whole week would be that rookie running backs are poised to break out. Whereas the receivers like just totally busted out. And you could just see they were all over the place and they actually scored in the top 12. You didn't see that much in the running back categories for rookies, minus one in Josh Jacobs. But the rest of them, it just looked like they showed more uh, uh, skill and power and promise than did the veterans that are in front of them. So none of, none of the rookie running backs broke out except for Josh Jacobs. He actually finished as the wide, or, uh, running back number seven for the week. So he was the only rookie to finish in the top 12. But his number seven finish was mostly based on volume. Like if you watch the game, he actually didn't look that great. Like there was nothing about the film that standed off where you were like, this guy's awesome. It's just the, the massive volume that he got there in Oakland against Denver that, that gave him the opportunity. And there's the two touchdowns that he had on the goal line that, that really pushed him ahead. But other rookies like Miles Sanders, David Montgomery, and Devin Singletary, just to name those three specifically. It looked like they were more impressive running backs than the veterans that were ahead of them. They all split time in week number one, um, various times, you know, 50 to 40% of their time. But it just appears that they are way better and that they're going to become the number one running back for their team within the next few weeks. And so while they didn't break out like the receivers did, my second observation overall for week number one is that the rookie running backs are poised. They're poised to break out. They haven't done so yet, but it looks like guys like Miles Sanders, David Montgomery, Devin Singletary are just kind of waiting in the wings before they actually break out and get the lead role for their teams, which Josh Jacobs got the lead role for for his team right away with week number one. And you can see what they can do when they give him that opportunity like Josh Jacobs did, finishing as a uh, running back number seven this week. The rest of these guys could do that in the coming weeks for sure. Number three overall observation for the week is that new head coaches mostly struggled. It's pretty crazy. Like all these new head coaches, <laughs> they might be getting judged a little bit by their fan base for sure because particularly on the offensive, when we're just thinking specifically about fantasy perspective, they really struggled. You can, it's only uh, Zach Taylor with Cincinnati that you can say had a great debut. He's the only one. Like his offensive production where he got, uh, you know, minus A.J. Green was very impressive, especially how John Ross became a star all of a sudden in his third-year breakout. But the rest of the uh, new head coaches really struggled. So Kingsbury and Arizona, Kitchens and Cleveland, Fangio and Denver, Lafleur and Green Bay, Flores and Miami, Gase and the New York Jets, and Arians and Tampa Bay. They all struggled like crazy in week one. Now, here's what I want to say. Like, it's way too early, and you're going to hear this from my, this is point number three. My point number five, you're going to hear me say something about this. But it's, it's early, but it is noticeable. You have to notice how the new head coaches really struggled uh, to help their fantasy teams, to help the guys in the, in the fantasy marketplace for our teams. So point number three, head coaches mostly struggled which is pretty different from point number four. Point number four is my main my overall observations of week number one is that new offensive coordinators mostly succeeded. This is different from head coaches. So not this is like in, in conditions where it wasn't the head coach that was replaced or he maybe even brought in a new OC 
These are differences where actually you had a head coach that was stable in position, but they chose to bring in a new OC or offensive coordinator. So these things tended to make a big difference, at least in week number one. So Kellen Moore for the Cowboys, amazing. He showed more diverse offense and play calling resulted in Dak being the number two uh, quarterback for the week. It's pretty crazy. Dak was the number two scoring quarterback for the week because here we have Kellen Moore, a new OC. We've got Greg Roman from Baltimore. He uh, unleashed, you could say, Lamar Jackson. Granted, he's playing the Miami defense, but whatever the case may be, like it, it was dominant performance. Already looked awesome. You've got Arthur Smith from Tennessee, new offensive coordinator there, who actually made Mariota, who we've all been doubting, perform good and actually made Derrick Henry involved in the passing game with a couple catches, and including one that would turn into a 75-yard play, which lost me one of my fantasy leagues. Thanks for that. Against the guy that I actually traded Derrick Henry away from, <laughs> me to him. So that happens sometimes. But maybe they're actually figuring how they can actually use the talent in their offense. You've got Kevin Safansky from Minnesota. He definitely stuck to his, or you could say maybe, or head coach Zimmer's guns. So he stuck to his run-first approach, which just destroyed Atlanta. Now, I think a lot of that was largely based on being a, on, at home, and, a, and Minnesota's defense was just playing awesome. But still, you got to look at it and say, like, really? Like... They did this whole domination, and they only threw 10 passes. That was pretty ridiculous. But you have an offensive coordinator that comes in that's already committed to be a run-first offensive coordinator, and you can see what they did right away. A couple more. John DiFilippo at Jacksonville. He showed that they can establish a passing game even if it's a backup quarterback. We were all excited about DiFilippo because he was coming there and he had Foles, who was used to working with it in Philadelphia, and we were all excited about that. But right away, sadly, Foles gets hurt, like injured right away. And so here comes in this rookie. And Gardner Minshew comes in and just really does a pretty great job. They were going to get beat because they were paying Kansas City. It wasn't going to be possible for a rookie quarterback to come in there and beat Kansas City. But when he came in, he was actually pretty highly effective. We're going to talk about him more in a bit here. But I think that DiFilippo already showed that Jacksonville is going to be a much more creative and pass-heavy offense that's actually going to evolve even uh, Fournette rather, in the uh, rushing game as well. And finally, as far as OCs that change in, we've got uh, Daryl Bowell for Detroit. Now, everyone thought that he was going to go in there and be proven like run-first type of team. And I'm not sure that's the case. It's only week number one for sure. But uh, he at least showed that he could run a little bit more diverse offense. He utilized his first-round tight end, TJ Hawkinson, incredibly. And so you love to see that, that there's an OC that comes in and finally using this tight end and using their best players, running them in motion, putting them all over the field in different positions and plays. And so here we have TJ Hawkinson just becoming a star in his first game of his career. And so I think overall, if I was to say overall, the head coaches really struggled, but the offensive coordinators that were new to a team actually did really well. They proved themselves really well. Fifth thing that I'd say, just overall observation from week number one, is it's not time to panic. I just want to remind everyone that it's not time to panic. Many players had awful week one performances. Trust me, 
like I said, I was two for eight in my leagues this year. I'm going to report on my teams, just so you know, and you're going to see that I'm not going to be two for eight on most weeks. This was, this was an incredibly poor week. And I would say that the majority of that is just because some stars had horrible weeks. And a lot of them were on my teams. And that's just how it goes. And so this is going to happen from time to time. And I would just say lesson number five is don't panic. Like don't back off if I'm going to go position by position. Don't back off on quarterbacks like Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers, Jared Goff, Baker Mayfield, Ben Roethlisberger. Like those guys all had horrible weeks this week. But they're going to be just fine this week and going forward. So don't back off. You know that there's a lot of uh, up and down with positions, and you just have to say, like, this is this is what it's going to take. So running backs, you think about uh, Todd Gurley, Nick Chubb, Leonard Fournette, James Conner, Kerryon Johnson, all guys that we expected to be stars or guys that were in our teams that we expected to start and score a lot of points. They, they stunk this week. There's a lot of questions beyond all of them. I would just say don't panic. These guys are all very, very trustworthy. Just hold. Don't try to sell low. Instead, you should try to buy high. These are guys you should try to buy high or buy low instead of uh, try to sell or buy <laughs> high instead of trying to sell low. And uh, wide receivers, you've got Julio Jones, Mike Evans, Adam Thielen, Stephen Diggs, um, Juju Smith-Schuster, Odell Beckham, all had pretty bad weeks. Don't worry about it. They're fine. And, of course, tight ends, our three top tight ends that we had going into the year, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Zach Ertz, all had bad weeks. And so they were beat by other players, which is pretty funny. I just say don't worry about it. Don't panic. So point number five is don't panic. The guys that you were convinced would be studs, that you drafted, you held, or you traded for, you've got them in your team for a reason. Don't worry just because they had one bad week. And I'm going to claim that the reason that I had such a bad week was because I have a lot of these guys on my team, and they are going to rebound, and my record's going to improve greatly. So those are my five big observations from the week. We're going to move now to topic number two. Topic number two is waiver wire moves. Um, week one waiver wire moves. Just as a reminder, I play in dynasty leagues of 27 to 30 players per roster. So this is a list of you know 300 to 324-ish players that are on all of our rosters. And so if you're in shorter dynasty leagues, these aren't going to be uh, the waiver wires that you would pick up. But I'm assuming that if you're listening to the podcast, they really care about deep dynasty leagues. And so here's the waiver wire moves that I would say were my top moves for the week. Number one was Chris Thompson. Um, the only good thing that about losing a week in number one is that I was able to pick up Thompson in two leagues. Uh, he's a great PPR target on a team that's likely going to be playing for behind a lot this year in Washington. This last week he had seven receptions for 68 yards. I mean, pretty good showing. And again, that was after the Redskins fell behind, let alone the fact that Geis' injury, it really, I feel like, ensures him a lot more touches going forward. Thing with uh, Thompson, he gets injured a lot. I mean, as long as he's healthy, he could be a really solid like play in the PPR. If you're in a PPR league for like a flex play, like every week flex play, or if you're in not a flex, you know, not a PPR league, um, I think that he could still be startable as just a guy that you put on your bench and use during bye weeks. And so, Chris Thompson was my number one waiver wire um, target for this week in the leagues that I'm in. Second was actually Philip Dorsett. Good grief. Dorsett showed a lot of chemistry with, Dor- with uh, um, 
Tom Brady again this last time. He showed a ton of it during the preseason, and it was just kind of like, what is this going to be? Like, why is he showing all this right now? And then you think that maybe on the waiver wire, he actually, like, why is he on the waiver wire right now when he showed such great chemistry and did so well during the preseason? I think it was just all the New Orleans, I mean, New England uh, moves that happened. Like, they draft Nikhil Harry, so they show they're going to bring in a rookie wide receiver. Then they have, unsurprisingly, or surprisingly, rather, Jacoby Myers just plays awesomely during the preseason as an undrafted free agent. Then, of course, we get the news that Josh Gordon's coming back, and then they get the news that Antonio Brown's signing. And so I think the combination of all of these things must have left people to drop Dorsett, like he probably shouldn't have been on the waiver wire in our, in our larger dynasty leagues, but he was. And I think it was just kind of relegated there because there's so much competition and cloudiness in the New, New England wide receiver core. But I would say right now that uh, it's, a, it's a circus, you say, in Boston, Dorsett was the star in week one with four receptions, 95 yards, and two touchdowns. I would say that he's very, very worth holding until we can see where this settles because I'm not sure what's going to happen with Brown and Gordon at all. And so we, we, he's very worth holding. So I'd have him as my number two waiver wire pickup this week. Number three uh, waiver wire pickup for me is uh, Raheem Mostert. Saw him picked up in a lot of my leagues. Um, this is a very short-term pickup, I think compared to like a true dynasty pickup. I think he's going to split time with Matt Breida until Tevin Coleman comes back. But I only, I actually only try to pick him up in leagues where I have Breida already, which is a lot actually for me because I love Breida, as you guys know. Um, he looks good. Shanahan always finds a way to make to, to give like his running backs fantasy points. And uh, Breida, Breida often is injured too. So I would say that for him, that he's, this is a very short-term move. But if Brita gets injured while Coleman is injured, man, Raheem Mostert's going to be a very good player for you. So that's why I had him number three on my pickups for this week. Waiver wire number four that I had this week was Danny Amendola. Man, this was crazy. I just felt like he was a, he was a target monster on Sunday. I don't know if this is going to last, but, man, getting 13 targets from uh, Matt Stafford, pretty crazy. It appears that he's got, like, the, dull, the golden Tate role. Stafford loved to target Tate all the time underneath. And I just feel like he's he's worth a pickup, particularly if you're in a PPR league, because he's going to have, on those 13 targets, he only got seven catches for, I think, 70 or 80 yards or something like that. So these are going to be short targets, but many targets, so it's more of a PPR fine. In one of my leagues, he actually went for $68 in a $100 fab league. So people are going in on Amandala, Amandola, and I just feel like, He's number four for me. I actually didn't put any bids in for him just because I wasn't interested in that enough because I felt like my teams were solid enough to not go for him, particularly at the wide position, wide receiver position where I didn't have need. But I uh, saw a lot of people make moves for him, and I would say that he's my number four. Number five waiver wire position for this week uh, would be Blake Jarwin. This might be the best upside dynasty value on this whole list that I mentioned. Um, he's young. He appears to have a much larger role in Dallas with their new, what I assume now with uh, Kellen Moore, is like a more creative offense. He was the eighth highest scoring tight end in week number one, so he's already had a top eight, or you could say top 12 finish, top eight. Uh, he caught three passes on, uh, on all three of his targets, 39 yards and a touchdown. 
The thing that I really loved is on the, he was schemed open on the target where he the t- caught the touchdown. Like, he was the number one target. You could tell they were actually aiming to go toward him. In addition to that, the coaches this week have been calling Jarwin one of their most best and pure athletes on the team. So I love to hold guys like this on my roster, particularly as like my third upside tight end. Like I like to have a stud tight end, a guy that could be a backup if not, and I like to have a young guy that is like this guy could break out and become one of those studs. And I'm not going to leave that um, past Jarwin. And so I have him number five. I really would move him up because if you looked at how I did waivers this week, I actually got a lot more Jarwin than I did any of these, any of these other players. The other players are more circumstantial, whereas Jarwin I actually believe in a bit more. But if I was to rank him one through five, Jarwin would be number five, depending on your circumstances. Now we're going to move on to talking about a few trades that we had this week. Point number three, trades for the week. In my leagues, these are pretty fun. We've got three trades that happened this week. And the first one is uh, pretty simple. It was Philip Dorsett for Dion Lewis. Man, this was tough for me. If I was to grade the trade, I would say that the uncertainty at the wide receiver depth chart in New England does make me like the Dion Lewis side just a tad more than this. Uh, like I said before, Philip Dorsett had an awesome first week. But man, what's going to happen if Antonio Brown or Josh Gordon and Julian Edelman all get healthy and are all working and playing in the offense. Nikhil Harry seems definitely like he's sidelined for a long time, for a short time, but he's, you know, first round draft pick. He's going to be one of the guys that they're going to have to try to prove and test in the years to come. Um, I just think that Deion Lewis has a lot more certainty with his position right now. And so even though Dorsett had a breakout in week number one and Deion Lewis really had a tough game in number one, this is kind of like one of your particular uh, prototypical buy high, sell low uh, trades after week one. Dorsett had a great game. Lewis had a horrible game. And so we made a trade, even given the bad game and the great game. I think I'd actually go Deion Lewis in this trade. That not given knowing what people's situations are or what they're trying to go for. Second trade that uh, I'll analyze is in one of my leagues, Darwin Thompson was traded for Deontay Johnson and James Washington. So two Pittsburgh wide receivers for the Kansas City second slash probably now third uh, running back. So after <laughs> Dante Moncrief's awful play on Sunday night, like he was horrible Sunday night, I could see why anyone would think like, all right, he's done. Let's go for the other guys. And so here we got a trade for both the Pittsburgh wide receivers who are you know known for drafting pretty good uh, receivers that are backups. That said, if I was really to analyze this, I think I still like the Darwin side of this trade. His value dropped a ton after McCoy was traded to Kansas City. And so all of a sudden, Darwin fell. And so it was like, now's the time's right to save him, or to trade for him, rather. But Darwin could still become the number one uh, running back in Kansas City. Like, there's no reason that he couldn't beat out McCoy and beat out Damon Williams uh, by the end of the year. Whereas I feel like just the battle for Deontay Johnson, James Washington, who's going to be the number two or possibly number three wide receiver in, in Pittsburgh. I like the idea of grabbing two, like like this guy did in this trade, but I think overall I would prefer Thompson in this trade compared to them. Third trade that I'll talk about, and this one I was actually involved in, so I'm super biased, and I'll explain why I did what I did. But this third trade was a three, six person, so three people on each trade, 
We had Malcolm Brown, Ben Roethlisberger, and Terry McLaren were traded for Dallas Goddard, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, and Tevin Coleman. So I was on the second side of that trade. This was mine, so I'm a little bit biased. So I'll just explain to you not why I think that I won the trade, because anyone could win the trade. I'd love to have someone else evaluate it. But I'll just show you what I was thinking from that standpoint. Uh, the, the first fact is that I uh, have had uh, Goddard, J.J., and Coleman were on my side. And in this league, I have four quarterbacks, which I really don't like to in a one-quarterback league. I hate rostering four quarterbacks. I'm like, man, this is like a waste of a roster space. So I've been trying to get rid of one of my quarterbacks all along. So I was eager to get rid of uh, Roethlisberger or any, any, really any quarterback. So when Roethlisberger was part of the trade, I was happy to do that. Second thing was that I have Zeke or Zach Ertz on my team already. And so I had been trying to trade for Goddard for quite some time with this team. I think that's part of why they made this offer because I've been trying to get Goddard because I just feel like if I just had Ertz and Goddard and if Ertz was to get hurt, Goddard would be awesome. And long term, I actually really love Goddard. Like I'm, I'm a huge fan of him. He's actually my number eight tight end overall in all of fantasy right now. It's number eight overall. And so if he's that high in my, my league, even though he's or my rankings, even though he's not playing consistently right now, I just feel like that was a trade I had to take and uh, pick him up. Another thing that it was part of this trade was that I, have, that I have Matt Breida, like I do in so many leagues because I love him more than Coleman. But here I was offered Coleman, and I love to like handcuff guys. So it'll kind of lock up the leading starters, even if uh, Coleman's injured for a bit. To have Coleman and Breida, to me, felt like a really big win, uh, particularly for this year. Maybe not in the long term, but particularly for this year. So that's why I went for Goddard, why I went for, uh, for uh, Cohen, or Coleman, rather. Here's where the trade really came down to. I feel like the biggest stars in this trade were Terry McLaurin, for J.D. Arcega-Whiteside. And so while I'm very high on uh, McLaren, especially compared to most, I actually have him on probably half, I think I'm three or four of my uh, seven dynasty teams. Like I have him my, on my team in a lot because I just kept drafting him late. So to have him break out like he did in week one was just so awesome to see his value rise. But if I had to take a step back, the truth is that I have J.J. Arcega-Whiteside ranked quite a bit ahead of McLaurin in my rankings, and so when it really came down to what I felt like were the primary pieces of this trade, for me, were McLaurin, who he was going after, but I thought J.J. Arcega-Whiteside and Goddard were the two players that I was going for. Uh, yes, they're part of the same team, so that could be trouble, but I was actually feeling like those were the two players that I had the highest rank on, highest preseason rank on, even if they didn't perform as well in week number one, and so I just felt like, trust my instinct. Go with my instinct, go with my rankings and my evaluations of these two players. And so that's why I was very willing to make this trade. Trading God trading for Goddard, Arcega Whiteside, and Tevin Coleman, giving away Malcolm Brown and Ben Roethlisberger and Terry McLaurin. Definitely a big trade. Was a fun one to do in one of the leagues that I was a part of. Hopefully each week we can give you guys just a little trade update. I have no idea if in all the leagues that I'm a part of that I can actually report on a trade that happened every week, but it gives me a chance just to talk about the player values and stuff like that, people on your teams that you might be considering too. And so I hope that my uh, trade evaluation conversation helps you as you think about players on your league. Last thing that we'll do here to close out this podcast and our week number one podcast 
is talk about some of the big news that happened this week, particularly related to injuries and what that means. Give a few comments on what I think it means for each of these players. First injury that happened this last week was Tevin Coleman. I talked about it a little bit already. I feel like this is pretty simple. Um, if you've been following me for long, you know that I've actually had Brita ranked higher than Coleman for a long time. <laughs> so, so now I just feel like it's his time to prove it. And uh, everyone else that does not have that will slowly switch their rankings to be reflected like I believe they should be. Brita is better than Coleman. Um, but as I mentioned in the waiver wire comments, Rashim, uh, Raheem Mostert is also worth an add, particularly given Coleman's injury. I think this is going to mean more work for Brita, more work for Mostert. Um, I think that he should be back. It sounds like Coleman's going to be back in five, six weeks or something like that. But my opinion is that Brita's going to prove himself to be better. If he can stay healthy, he has his own health problems for sure, which is why you want to pick up Mostert as well. So these guys are all pretty often injured. But overall, I still have way more faith in Brita and feel like he's a better fit for their system. Second injury that happened this last week, kind of injury report, is Hunter Henry. Man, this is so disappointing news. Um, they claim that he's going to be back in five, six weeks, four, six weeks. But J.J. Watt had the same injury last year, and he missed the season because of it. Uh, again, claiming that he'd come back, he'd come back, and then he never did. And so I feel like overall, given this situation, that Mike Williams uh, should get a little bit more red zone looks now. But the bummer is that he's a little bit hurt right now too. So, man, it, it feels like the, I want to call them San Diego, but the L.A. Chargers, man, they just they have so many injuries. Almost like I'm going to fire all of their their training staff or something because it seems like there's so many injuries on their front. So I'm not sure what's going to happen, except I would say when Mike Williams is healthy, he's going to be the bigger red zone target since Hunter Henry's not there. And I believe that this uh, injury is actually going to result in a lot more passes to Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler. And so I think this is going to be a good uptake for them. Next is Nick Foles. I talked about this a little bit already. But at first look, this would seem to be in a, like an immediate downgrade for all Jacksonville pass catchers. But I'm not quite sure, actually. And so this is one where I want to kind of push, push like the pause button. I feel like Gardner Minshew looked pretty good in relief. Like he had a great, you know, passing percentage, did pretty well, threw a bunch of touchdowns. And uh, granted, was against KC defense last week. That is a pretty struggling defense. But I would bump all, if I was like, you know, to do player values, I would bump all the Jacksonville players down, but just a bit. Not as much as others would, I, I think. Because I really want to see what will happen here. Um, I think that Minshew has, you know, had a great college career in a different kind of offense there in Washington State. But he's, he has done uh, well in his uh, relief duty right away. And I think that there's opportunity for him. Um, I didn't pick him, I didn't mention him in the uh, waiver wire because I wanted to mention him here that he was one of the guys that I really targeted. If you're in a two-quarterback league, of course, he would be like a number one target that you would go after. I saw someone spend literally all of their fab money on him this week in one of my leagues in a two-quarterback league. And so I would not do that in a two-quarterback league, but I would spend quite a bit for him in a one-quarterback league. Bulls is supposedly going to come back, you know, mid-season. But the fact is that, that uh, Minshew could actually win the position right now. Like he's got a number of weeks to prove that he could be the guy. And if he's a rookie, why would they not keep going with him? Because he could show that he is the guy that they want to trust him. And so a pretty confusing situation right there. 
is all the receivers. I downgrade them a little bit, but not so much in Jacksonville because I actually believe in Minshew. Next entry to report on is Tyree Kill. Man, this is a real bummer for everyone in Kansas City. Um, here's what I think some of the fantasy rap, uh, ramifications are. If Hill cannot play for like six to eight weeks, like they're saying, um, I'd bump, I'd bump down quite a bit. Mahomes, um, he's obviously awesome, does great in everything he does. But if you don't have your number one weapon, you can just like those 60, 60 yard bombs too all the time. I'd, I'd bump him down a little bit. I'd also do the same with the running backs, which is sad for me because I have a lot of running backs in the KC backfield. I th- I just think their overall scoring has to go down. Like if you don't have Tyree Kill, your your weekly scoring has to go down. And so I'm basically knocking everyone down a bit. The only thing I would maybe knock up would be the receivers just because of the absence of targets that happen now in Kansas City. Uh, of course, <laughs> he's not really on our waiver wire, but Watkins had a ridiculous game, was the number one receiver this last week. So Watkins' value is going to go up. And if I was to guess on the next value to go up, I would guess McCole Hardman. Like, I think his value is really, really going to rise. And the running backs are going to dive a little bit just because of scoring opportunity. But maybe apart from Damian um, Williams, who gets to be part of the passing offense. So we'll see what happens there. That's my idea on what's going to happen with the Tyreek Hill injury. Final injury is Devin Funches, who's uh, been placed on IR himself. And this one, I'm actually really eager to see what will happen because this will give Deion Kane and Paris Campbell a chance to shine. So both received a lot of action in Sunday's game, even before even before the injury. So they were already pretty involved. And so uh, Campbell seems like he's uh, locked into what I would say a more versatile role. Like it feels like he's going to be kind of the, continue to be kind of the gadget guy. Um, that's going to be really more of a not playing every single down, where it feels like Kane is really locked in to be the wide-out receiver opposite of uh, T.Y. Hilton. And so I'm much more hopeful about how this injury will affect Kane's value than it will affect Campbell's value. So I feel like Campbell's value is not going to be affected very much because he kind of is who he is and what they want to do, whereas Deion Kane, I think, is going to get the opportunity now to just be an every-week starter on the outside he looked really good in preseason, looked good even in the few catches that he had in week number one. And so Deion Kane, it's his chance to move up our boards. Well, that's what we have for this week, my friends. Thanks for listening. My observations for the week, uh, my waiver wire report. We've got uh, injuries for the week as well as some trades that happened in my leagues. As any, as I say every week, make it a two-way conversation anytime by contacting me at DynastyFreaks.com. That's DynastyFreaks with two E's, DynastyFreaks.com or DynastyFreaks at gmail.com. You know, I've been building up this website for a couple years now, or really just over a year now. I really wanted to prove myself to be the most trustworthy and independent voice in your dynasty landscape. And so I would love it if you would take some time to rate and review our podcast on iTunes. That would help us move up the charts a little bit, help other people find us. Uh, I'd appreciate that. If you've been listening, uh, I do appreciate you, and thank you for tuning in. As always, you know what to do next time. you got to go out there. Get freaky. Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. We welcome your thoughts and advice. 
Let us know what you'd like to hear on the podcast or see on the website to help you dominate your league. Justin prides himself in responding to every email, so hit him up anytime at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com and follow him on Twitter at LonghornJustin. Justin.